Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. of the Republic of Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan, that is Mr. Horsley, and today on the show, well, it's Jeremy Robinson, isn't it? It is, it is, and he has a new book out that came out, I think, in June of this year called NPC, and Casey got to sit down and chat with him about his book NPC, his book Infinite. I mean, if you look up the guy on, on the internet, the guy's written quite a few books and uh he's uh, he was a, a really fantastic uh interview e interviewee is that what it's called yeah interviewee and um casey had a lot of fun and uh his books i have not read them myself yet but i am thinking i'm gonna pick up npc because it sounds really good i still have to fight my way to not say jeremy when i see jeremy oh yeah because the e I, when i was a kid for some reason i could never say jeremy I, it always came out jeremy I almost got in a fight with my buddy Jeremy because I kept saying his name Jeremy one time. Right. And it's like, it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whatever, Kendrick. Well, so I, I always forget what Jeremy. So the normal way to spell Jeremy is with an E, right? J E R E M Y. That's yep. the normal way. Yep. So, because I always I forget that because my nephew, um, who's no longer with us, he spelled his name with an I. So uh, I always thought J E R I M Y was the normal way to spell Jeremy. So no. when I saw the E, I always think it's, it always looks weird to me because I was so used to growing up with the I in it. You would have pronounced that Jerry my, right? But he was, but it was Jeremy. But his mom just put an I in it because she wanted it, not for any other reason besides wanting to be an different. I but you know, that's interesting. It is interesting. But Jeremy Robinson uh, has a tons of books out, and auto and audio books out. And, Dude, and, he uh, is prolific as all get out. Super prolific. Oh yeah, started writing. Looks like I mean, back in the early two thousands, has you know dozens of books out, and uh, you know, as I said, him and Casey had a great time chatting about it, and. I look forward to everybody listening to this and telling us what they think. There you go. Well, let's sit back and listen to Jeremy and his own voice. All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have author Jeremy Robinson. Jeremy, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you, man. Okay, so we I always like to talk to people a little bit before we officially start the interview so they know I'm not a complete weirdo, just some <laughs> rando on the internet. It's like <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I may or may not be dressed up in a bunny suit as I'm talking to you, but at least you know, I'm not a complete weirdo. Well, I may uh, or may not be wearing clothes, so <laughs> Especially, yeah, if you have the air conditioner off. Good God, man. Yeah, that, that's the thing that sucks about doing recordings is yep. when that AC cuts on, and you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> um, so you have 
a ton of books out. <laughs> you, you've done a lot of stuff, man. So t- tell us a little bit about your new book, NPC, and then we'll get into... Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> my five-year-old. That's uh, okay. I got kids. Holland, say hey. Hi. Hi. Okay. Now, you have to go downstairs and close that door behind you. It's okay. <laughs> All right, my wife is mortified. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is that's why I have a, a digital key lock on my office door now. <laughs> oh man, I'm sure that that comes in handy, especially oh, yeah. when when you're writing and you're on a roll and you just hear, "Daddy." Yep. So. I also I have a light outside the office uh, that can uh, change colors. I control it with my phone, so if that light is red, they know do not knock. <laughs> oh, like the like the recording studio lights. Yes, exactly. That exactly. is awesome. So, <laughs> so NPC is your latest. So can you tell us a yes. little bit about your book? So NPC stands for non-player character, which will be a familiar term to anyone who does game. And basically, there is a uh, coder slash serial killer who believes that we are living in a simulation and is out to prove it. When he starts killing homeless people, there's a pastor in town who kind of helps out at the homeless shelter and notices that these guys are missing. So that's how he gets involved. And it's kind of a, a dichotomy between the two, one being a serial killer, one being a pastor, and them kind of coming together at odds, but then also finding some common ground. So it's it's a, a mystery, suspense, thriller that's really, really weird. And kind of mind, mind bendy. Can, can you tell us a little bit? I understand it has a little bit to do with your faith, and yep. how, how did that come into it? And and furthermore, were were you a little scared to go into that territory just as a writer because it's it from the other things that you've put out, it doesn't seem like it's uh, it seems like it's kind of new ground for you. Well, I've I have done it before in a couple of books. The the one that was most controversial is called Torment. And it was kind of like my Dante's Inferno. Not at all theologically sound, but definitely touched on some religious themes and definitely offended some people who are <laughs> touchy about those things. So it definitely makes me a little nervous. When I showed uh, MPC to my editor, his uh, one of his first comments was, you might lose a few readers with this one. So we'll see. I feel like I handle it pretty well. I present the pastor as a real person. He swears probably more than I do. And he's wrestling with his faith like the whole time. It's it's not a novel where one of the characters is trying to convince you, you know, to follow a religion. It's uh, both of them looking at the subject of living in a simulation from their various perspectives, him being a pastor and the other character being a coder. Yeah, so. It's, it's always hard for me to believe a character when, when I'm reading a book that if if religious if religion is brought into it, it's hard for me to believe yep. that character if they don't have a little bit of struggle with it. If there's yeah, not, they have to be authentic. Yeah, yeah, because uh, otherwise you you just have somebody just blindly going forth, and I, yes. I don't really see that. They're it's either blindly a- going forward or they are lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, you know, there's a lot of Christians who who seem to have perfect perfect faith on the outside, but uh, I well, hopefully they have, you know, uh, a debate about it. 
because it's a big, tricky subject. It's not like a simple thing. And with NPC, it was actually never my intention to have anything religious in it at all. And I actually wrote uh, a few chapters where uh, the second main character was an FBI agent. And then through research and a lot of thinking about the subject of if reality was a simulation, it, it kind of occurred to me that if reality is a simulation, then someone made it, which then kind of makes simulation theory a religious theory because it can't exist without a creator. Yeah, uh, yeah, that has to be that prime mover. Yeah, so that's why I was like, okay, so I need a, I need to change this FBI agent to someone who has something to say about you know, whoever's in charge of reality. That is, that's, that's fascinating. And at the same time, I, I totally, I totally get why you made that change given, given how groundbreaking that would be if somebody found out reality is in fact a simulation, which is terrifying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at, somebody... the, <laughs> at the same time, I mean, assuming that you can live with the idea that there's someone who could just you know push a button and turn off the simulation it doesn't it doesn't actually change anything whether we are digital code or physical code we're still like beings made of code living in a universe that is all kind of held together by laws that you know could have been written so it doesn't really change anything aside from like the nature of reality but reality is still uh, exactly the way we've always been experiencing it when you finished this book, did you kind of curl up into a ball for a few days? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, when I write books like this, it, it kind of like curls me out of the ball. There's There's been a few novels that I've written. NPC, Infinite, and Alter are all kind of like driven by my own discomfort. A couple of years ago, I got Lyme disease, Bartonella, and now I've been diagnosed with this other thing called anti-mag disease, none of which are very comfortable or whatever, but they kind of like, they mess with you physically and emotionally and mentally uh, and neurologically. So I have all these crazy, crazy symptoms going on that make life feel like not real like it makes it feel like all my senses might be different the way i feel the air might be different or hear things might be different uh so there are times where i'm like this doesn't feel real right now and that kind of like writing a novel like this helps me process all that feeling uh instead of just internalizing it oh wow wow so and those novels uh, tend to do better people like them more because i'm like dumping all of my angst into them <laughs> Uh, and so they really resonate, uh, you know, more than just a straight action. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great that you're able to kind of work out those demons um, yeah, on, on the page. Wonderful. Also at the same time, having had to deal with that, like in real life, having to deal with those demons, would you trade it for not having to? <laughs> would I do? trade the success of these novels born out of discomfort um yes i think, I, I, think I, I absolutely would yep. really really yeah, yeah. It, it's very uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I mean I, I, my other novels do well enough but yeah i would prefer to to not have these so how, how did you get into writing in the first place I was actually an artist for like the first half of my life uh, in <laughs> high school. I wanted to be a comic book artist and basically spent all my time. I went to college for art 
um, just drawing nonstop. And I still do. I draw every day. I still create all my book covers. So I'm still technically an artist. But when I was, I think I was maybe 20 and kind of like just traveling with my wife, like house sitting for people all around the country. And I kind of had this epiphany that all of my art was storytelling. So comic book art, obviously, is storytelling. I mean, if I did a painting, it wasn't just like, you know, a vase of flowers. It was a story. So that's when I was like, okay, so maybe storytelling is actually my passion here. So I started writing screenplays. And that took me out to Hollywood eventually, where I had like mild success in screenwriting. My first published book was a screenwriting nonfiction book, which is ironic because uh, I hadn't actually sold the screenplay. And kind of built from there where I decided to, well, that selling a screenplay, the odds against that are so slim. And at the time, it's when Hollywood really started going after novels and other properties to turn into movies. So I was like, all right, I think my odds would be better if I was writing novels and then attracting Hollywood's attention that way while making money from the novels themselves. So it just seemed like a more lucrative path to storytelling. So yeah. that's when, yeah, that's when I first started doing it. Uh, when I lived in Los Angeles is when I wrote my first book, moved back here and self-published it. And then from that book, my agent found me on Barnes & Noble, or no, on Amazon, because it was linked to another book of his at the time. And then two years later, after I had self-published a few books, the first publisher I had found me on Amazon. That's when I got my first book deal. Oh, wow. So you 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 really did the whole like self-publish on Amazon to full-blown publisher thing. I, that is amazing. Yeah. And, and now I'm full circle. So I, I self-published four books and then St. Martin's Press found me, and I did eight books with them. But at the exact same time, because I write really quick, they wanted to do one novel a year. I can write four or five novels a year. Oh, so wow. uh, they were actually okay with me self continuing to self-publish while they were publishing one of my books per year. So I've been self-publishing under my own imprint all along while ha having a publisher. And right now, I'm just 100% self-published through my imprint uh, because my book started out selling and out earning the big publishers. Really? So the, the, the stuff you did through uh, breakneck media. Yep. Yep. Wow. Outsold and out earned the St. Martin's <laughs> press books. And w what's really funny though, is that by the end of those eight books, they were also hiring me to do my covers. Like I was doing a lot of the work already. The only thing I wasn't doing was like getting the book in stores. That's so insane. It just, yeah, and making, you know, 8% to 15% on a sale rather than 70%. So when you do the uh, self-publishing stuff now, is that all digital or is it also uh, print and digital? We do print, digital, and audio. Oh, wow. So, so, we do so you're, you're covering all bases here on your yep. own. So Yep. And, and if you look at them, so the goal has always been to produce books that are indistinguishable from the big publishers. So, and if you looked at like the trade paperback of NPC or especially the hardcover of NPC, there's no way you'd be able to, to distinguish it uh, from a big publisher. And the audiobooks have been winning awards. We want to, what is that called? A Sovas. I can't remember. The Voice Actors something award and independent audiobook awards. And then last year, it became a New York Times bestseller 
through, through a self-published audiobook. That's awesome. That's awesome. So w- when you do the the audiobooks, do you, it looks like you work with a lot of the same guys yep. for for the uh, narration. How did you go about meeting these people? Were they um, you or you just You know, I I feel like so the first narrator I worked with is Jeff Kafer, and I've been working with him almost since the beginning of my career when I first did the books as like uh, podcast novels. So we would serialize them and release them for free. And so I hired Jeff to do two of my books, but I can't remember how I found him at the time. I think they were two of his first books, and we're going to actually be redoing them this year. They're How old are they now? They're almost 15 years old, I think. So we're going to be redoing those. And Jeff, I think I was able to get Jeff his first job at a audiobook publisher because I had been working with him for a little while when St. Martin signed me on. Signed me on, And then Audible signed on the audiobooks, but I requested that Jeff be uh, the narrator for them. And the same thing happened later with R.C. Bray. I can't honestly can't remember how I found him. But he started recording books for me separately. And then when Brilliance Audio wanted to do Island 731, I requested that Bob be the narrator for that one. So it was cool to kind of like start with these guys and then get them their first like their first gigs. And now they're both huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing that you've you've been able to grow in your careers together. Yeah, it's really um, cool. And MPC is the first one that all three of us have ever done together. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So they both, the, the story is taking place um, from two characters' point of view, both first person. And so Bob narrates one and Jeff narrates the other. Have you ever tried to narrate your own audiobook? <laughs> I did way back in the day and I am horrible. I, so I've, I've been reading my, my daughter's uh, Harry Potter when, yep. when they go to bed at night. It's the first time I've ever read it and it's the first time they've ever. I guess heard it. <laughs> I don't even think they've seen the film, but you realize like that it's, it's hard to do. And yeah. for some reason, your tongue is bigger in your mouth than you realized yeah. it was. And nothing comes out right. And everything sucks. Yep. Yeah. I find speaking in general to be difficult. Never mind reading. Uh, yeah. yeah. My wife is doing Harry Potter right now, actually too. And she does all the voices and she's really good at it. <laughs> Like an authentic <laughs> Dumbledore, like it's impressive. I tried to do Hagrid last night just to jazz <laughs> it up, and yeah. I ended up getting really hoarse and having to leave the room to get some water. <laughs> I was like, <gasps> I was yeah. I was dying. So we okay. So that book is the book we're reading now. I accidentally downloaded the wrong Jack London book for the last book. Uh. Because my daughter wanted to, she saw the previews for the Call of the Watt, right? I accidentally downloaded White Fang. I don't know Uh, if you've read White Fang anytime recently or ever. The first chapter of the book starts with two guys retrieving a corpse in the middle of the Alaskan tundra. Is this for the five-year-old? The five and the nine-year-old. I start into it. And uh, I'm like, I don't know if this is age appropriate. Yeah. And my wife's just like, it's Jack London. It's fine. It's the <laughs> Disney movie. I was like, okay. So I start reading, and all of a sudden, the they have this team of dogs. And in the first chapter of the book, this massive team of sled dogs they have is picked off one 
by one, by one, by these evil ass wolves. Oh man! <laughs> one guy goes off and with a shotgun because he has two shot. He has two shells left, and he don't come back. And my five year old was like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I was like, "Did y'all like that?" And they're like, "That was awesome." Oh, <laughs> I was yeah, like, "Okay, yeah. dude, my 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 daughters are hardcore. It's that's good. Um, my kids are it scares me sometimes. <laughs> it 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 genuinely scares me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, know if my kids will ever." <laughs> oh really really they're they're that they're that wimpy oh yeah they're super wimpy how, how old 15 13 and 11 oh nice you got a nice little spread yeah, they're, there they're and they're... 18 months apart yeah oh. and you got uh you have it so that now they're starting to spend more time outside the house and time with friends and you don't have to really have them under feet all the time. <laughs> yeah. And now we're quarantined. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So as soon as they get that freedom, it's taken away. Yeah. We've been, we've been taking a lot of walks in the woods lately and going into the walk-in closet and yelling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some crying when the lights go. Nah, it's, it's been okay. <laughs> It's been okay, but uh, oh no no go ahead. No, we're just starting to figure it out. We got a we're we're doing a bubble with certain groups of friends who are also quarantined, so that they can all still see friends, and we don't have to worry about it. So that's been working out good. We had our first like adult night out a few weeks ago with. Yeah. It, it wasn't like a night out. It, it was literally going because we had to take care of my friend's dogs because he had to go to he had to go to Pennsylvania. So he was showing me how to use the alarm and he grilled out and it was so massively rewarding to be able to talk to two adults. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just about stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was it was a good night out. But <laughs> yeah, we, we literally sat in their living room and, and ate stuff that we'd grill. Yeah. Nice. But, uh, so how, how did something. you get, I'm sorry. It's something. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's better than makes us appreciate small things. Exactly. Exactly. How did you get, like what made you want to write in the first place or, and you know, get into comics and all that other stuff. Cause we're, we're starting, we're starting way back. What, what got you into comics? I think I have, just always been wired this way. Like this goes back as far as I can remember just nonstop drawing and coming up with creatures and stories. And my parents have stuff from probably like when I was five or six. So it's just like the way I'm wired and I feel weird if I'm not getting it out. So it's kind of like that weird artists, like I don't have a choice. Like if I don't, if I don't get this out, stuff out somehow, I'm gonna go crazy, and I probably go really crazy because I have so much to get out so fast. Yeah, it's just I can't remember like uh, a specific time where it started. I mean, I grew up watching what's the older like Space Ghost and Herculoids and Force Five, Guy King, just like tons and tons and tons of '80s cartoons is probably probably responsible for a lot of this and then like you know staying up 
uh, with my dad to watch Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers and all that kind nice. of stuff. And my parents were like, uh, it was the eighties. There was like zero filter as to what kids could watch and what was PG at the time, like uh, jaws, like, you know, we were watching, <laughs> we were watching everything. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I had this big imagination and then it was like twisted and scarred by eighties sci-fi. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming you you've shown your kids Jaws by now, right? Nope. Nope. They seriously could not even get close oh, to handling that. My nine year old saw it last year in oh, freaking. Wow. And then That's we saw, um, like a few days later, Tremors came on. Nice. And I was like, "Oh yeah, kid, come watch this with come watch this with your old man." She sat down, and after like ten minutes, she like narrowed it down. She said, "This is Redneck Jaws." I said, yes, it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally is redneck jaws. That's awesome. But, so, yeah, my so, kids just can't do it. <laughs> so, all this stuff, you know, got got you into being creative. And uh, did did you have any like formal like training for for this stuff, or is it just um, not for writing for art? I had a lot because I did art school, lots of like paintings of naked people, illustration classes, stuff like that, yeah. but. For for writing is total like 100% self-taught. I read when I first decided to write a novel, I had I had written very little aside from screenplays, which is very different from like a screenplay is it doesn't really it's like a very loose outline compared to, you know, the detail that's in a novel. And it's not exactly like beautiful prose or anything. And so I'd written a bunch of screenplays, so I was like comfortable at a keyboard, but I had never written any like straight fiction. So I read through a strunk and white grammar guide and then Stephen King's book on writing and basically followed that as like a style guide and went from there. And I just kind of like dove in and it was a, a good number of years. I think I wrote one, two, three, I think three, three novels before I just uh, jumped into self-publishing. But all the novels I've written have been published are a lot of people's favorites, even those first ones. Yeah, so I just kind of threw myself into it and went for it. So I, I see that not not only do you do like the the prose that stuff, but you also still are are fairly active with graphic novels and and that type of publishing. What and you actually brought several of your your books to that format. Was it? Was it hard for you to to make that format change? Was it hard to cut? Because it's a totally different style of the storytelling. Was it hard for you to cut the fat? Did you have to have to kind of struggle um, with it, or was it fairly easy for you? I think, given my my history with being an artist and wanting to be a comic book artist, that it was actually very easy for me to not only visualize it myself and but also to trust in the artist. Um, and the artist I was working with on the Project Nemesis series was Matt Frank, who had helped create the look of Nemesis to begin with. So I really trusted him oh, that's awesome. with the property. And so I didn't have to go into insane detail. If something was specific, then I could send him like a picture for reference. Um, but I trusted him enough that I could just let go of all those details. And I knew that he had read the novel as well, so he understood uh, what I was going for. Do you have any more graphic novels on your on your docket, or are you are you happy we, with what you've done? I would writing 
for comic books, it's kind of like a vacation for me um, because it's not it's not nearly as in like intense for my brain and is a lot more fun because I know that other people are going to be putting something into it that I can't. Um, oh yeah. It's, co- it's collaborative storytelling for yeah, sure. And so it's, it's really exciting for me to see what other people do or what other people come up with based on what I'm writing. But right now there aren't any things officially in the work. We are making some pitches. to. Oh, nice. What nice. I see that you've worked with IDW and IDW is such a fun company for they they're putting out so many amazing books and they've really impressed me not only with like their original ideas that they have published, but also the, their properties that they they've licensed, they've gotten licenses from and the talent they get behind them to produce those properties. And so when I see that you and, Matt Frank did the Godzilla Rage Across Time book. Yeah, that's just a no-brainer, and it totally makes sense that they would get people that actually know the format and know how to type it. Yeah, book. and I think that one came about because Matt and I were like shooting around ideas to pitch to IDW for Godzilla, and we went to them with one that basically became the Rage Across Time issue that we did, uh, when we pitched it, they were like, oh, we're doing something just like that. You guys want to do an issue? <laughs> so that's how that oh, actually nice. happened. And I, I was very happy that they gave us the first uh, issue for that and that they allowed Matt to do like the very stylized Japanese uh, old school art for it. That's awesome. So what what drew you to, to writing about like the kaiju stuff? Because I, that's something I'm terribly unfamiliar with i saw the like the old school godzilla movies when i was a kid but yeah. outside of that i'm complete moron about <laughs> well i uh, among um, other things yeah growing up again in the 80s um, but also in new england um, we had a show called creature double feature that was on every saturday for most of my childhood and probably 50% of what they played were like Godzilla movies and Gamera movies. And so I had many Saturday mornings filled with Godzilla. And so I've always been a fan and I've watched, I think probably all of the Godzilla movies uh, that are out. There might be something like obscure that I'm missing, but I've always been a fan. And then it was kind of like a, a few years ago, maybe five years ago, I had just finished a novel and my editor was like, well, what are you going to work on next? And I have no idea what I'm working on next. He said, well, <laughs> why haven't you written a kaiju novel? You talk about them all the time. And I was like, I don't know. It had just never occurred to me that that would be something people would read because it had only been in movies at the time. So yeah, I was just like, all right, I'll go for it. We'll see what happens. Uh, and that actually worked out really well. That's awesome. What? So it, in the first book of the project nemesis you completely and totally destroy a small town in maine (laughs) what do you have against a small town in maine well to be fair i i destroy portland maine i i really love portland maine i have nothing against portland it's a great place and i also destroyed there isn't a whole lot of coastline in new hampshire but i destroyed i destroyed a cruise line that i like to, to, to take out <laughs> and then we go south into Massachusetts to Beverly, Massachusetts. That's actually where I grew up, and I have a very fondness for that area. And then also for Boston, which is kind of like my home city. So all those places I destroyed are actually places I really love. So it's kind of like 
I don't know. It's a weird kind of like honor to bestow upon those places <laughs> that I really love. Um, but it was it, mentally, it was like visiting uh, home, especially for the scenes in Boston and Beverly. I grew up in Beverly, looking out my window towards the ocean dreaming of what it would be like if Godzilla were to arrive and come out <laughs> and stomp towards my house. And so I was able to to write that. I put the the headquarters of the government agency is on the hill I grew up on overlooking the same ocean. So when they're looking out and seeing Nemesis out in the ocean in Beverly Harbor, it was the same thing that I was imagining when I was a child. That's That's awesome. That's awesome that you were able to take something that you grew up with such a fondness for and actually do it. Yeah. And hopefully it will be made into a movie or a TV series and we'll get to see it. Uh, So you, you have some properties that are currently in production or development, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the key word. Uh, any, Any news on any of that? Nothing I'm allowed to talk about. Everyone is saying, (laughs) like, this is moving forward, but don't talk about it yet. They're very specific about when they want to, you know, let the world know. So, I mean, some of this stuff has been going for four years now that's been in development and, like, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I can say there are very impressive people involved. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. If it makes you feel any better, I, I talked to Jeff Smith next week, the writer of Bone, yep. and I think that book has been in development for uh, I can imagine. Uh, at least 30 years, and it's uh. finally getting its net Netflix debut, and I think in the fall. Hopefully, oh, yeah. I can get a date out of them. <laughs> yeah, that's how Hollywood works. I, I feel like they like to to wait till the author is almost dead, <laughs> and then they're like, you know, maybe we should make this now before he kicks the bucket. So hopefully, they don't do that to me. Um, four years feels like long enough, but people people negotiating are incredibly slow. It'll be like three months between emails, you know, like not like the rest of the world. I hear you. So, All right. Are you hoping to have some creative control in that, or once it's once it's um, going, you're just going to stay out of the way? For one of them, I'm hoping they'll let me write some of it, but there's no guarantee there. But otherwise, at this point, I'm happy to give up creative control because it's kind of like a foot in the door. the The team that the the team that is handling the project that is moving forward is so impressive that. Like, I have no worries. And if it does as well as I believe they can make it do, then it will open up a lot of doors where maybe I'll have more creative control. So, so to get my foot all, in the door of yeah. Hollywood, yeah, go for it. And it's not like I don't have other books. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of writers write a series. Like, Lee Child has one series that he writes. Uh, I can't remember the name of the character. Tom Cruise was in the movie. And it's you know twenty five books spanning one series, so he's kind of got like one shot at a movie deal. I have a couple of series, but Jack I also Reacher. have Jack Reacher. I also have fifty plus other novels that are totally independent. So I've got a lot of opportunity for Hollywood to uh, take notice. It's not just one series that I'm kind of stuck with. Which leads me to my next question: What the hell is your problem? <laughs> I almost got my drink. <laughs> how do you have so many ideas like this? Um, uh, and and how do you 
negotiate with yourself what gets made because I'm assuming if you have that many ideas that you have already published and produced and made and written that, that you have countless more just kind of sitting in in this in the wings just waiting to be explored further like how do you how do you get that stuff and know what what's right so the way I know what is right mostly is that, you know, while I'm writing and just in normal life, I'll read a lot of scientific articles or news articles or whatever. And every now and then something will be like, oh, that would make a really cool concept for a story. And I don't write it down. I don't put it away. If I forget it, then it wasn't that great of an idea. If I remember it three months later when it's time to write something new, then that was a good idea. And then I'll start to really brainstorm about that theory or fact or whatever um, and build a story around it. So yeah, it's just a matter of what sticks with me. If it doesn't stick with me for three months, then it's not you know something I'm that interested in. Also, it leads me to another question. Three months to write a, a full novel. Well, I've done it quicker. <laughs> How, how um, do you do you have like a, a schedule that you try to stick to? Yeah. Well, all right. So before pre-diseased Jeremy, this is like four years ago, Amazon came to me and wanted to do a, a book deal for a book that I had already self-published and then its sequel. They took about um, a month to negotiate the deal with my agency. And then at the end of the month, they were like, okay, cool. We're done signed the contract. I said, all right, here's the contract and here's the novel. So in the time it took them to negotiate <laughs> the contract, I wrote the novel. Uh, and it was 20 days, 22 days, I think, to, like, you know, if you take out the weekends of that month, uh, that total writing time. And they actually had zero edits aside from like, you know, typos and stuff. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So 20 days, that was my quickest. I did, I wrote Project Nemesis in a month. And basically it was just being really disciplined about writing every day and doing two chapters a day. For me, two chapters, about six pages, which is 1,800, 2,000 words, maybe. So about 4,000 words a day. And when you add that up to a 90,000 word novel, it doesn't take that long. Back then, at towards the end of a novel, I might like squeeze in three, four chapters a day just because I'm like, you know, it's in my head and has to get out. I think the most I ever did, I want to say it was 15,000 words in a day. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, to finish out a novel. <laughs> and that was writing from the crack of dawn till like one in the morning. Um, and it just all just poured out. I'm not going to do that again ever. But now, so post disease, I'm now at a chapter a day. It was just like Stephen King speed. Yeah, it's still yes. fast, <laughs> but not insanely fast like I used to. So when does your day start and when does it end for your writing? Um, so again, pre-disease, I would just nine to five and usually would write a chapter before lunch and a chapter after lunch and then kind of mix in other like marketing, cover design, stuff like that. Now, I, don't, I tend to not wake up until like 10. Nice. I don't That's start... I don't start until 10 or 11 uh, or 10 30 or 11 and then also still stop at five <laughs> or 5 30 uh, which is why there's you know there's just time for the one uh, chapter and then other marketing cover stuff so yeah, are you a night owl yeah so I two o'clock I think is when I go to bed nice yeah. I, I, I need to change <laughs> it's not good I um 
I go to bed around midnight every night, but I wake up at four thirty every morning because I have to be at work at six. So as soon as I basically as soon as I put the kids to bed, I'm trying to to write a little bit. Yep. And that usually if if I don't fall asleep at my laptop, you know, <laughs> in bed by by midnight. Yep. That's the way to do it. That's uh when I made my second novel, I was working full time and had a newborn and I was working all day and then I would get in maybe an hour of writing a night, but I eventually got the whole novel done and now it's one of my better sellers. So that's the way to do it. You learned how to bounce a baby on a knee while typing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you achieve that that balance though? Because I mean, you, you have three kids, obviously you're present in their lives how how do you achieve that is it something that you're constantly working on or is it uh just you try to stick to the rules that you've set out yeah it's it's easier to be disciplined about yourself it's less hard for your children to be <laughs> to be the same amount of discipline towards letting you have time <laughs> which is why i have the the lock on the office door and the i'm working light so yeah, it's it's just sometimes a challenge to get everyone on board, but you know, I finish up around five thirty, and then I'm basically with the kids until nine thirty ish, ten o'clock, and then with the weekends too. So, and here's the thing: they're homeschooled, so they're here all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I work at home. They're homeschooled. It's not like they're they're always here. If I go downstairs to use the bathroom or get lunch, I'm seeing them. So we're spending a lot of time together. And you hear the noise too, I'm sure. Which um, I'm sure has gotten a lot quieter lately. But yeah, it's when they were younger. I'm sure it was. My office setup is pretty good because the house is kind of like split in two, and there's like a room connecting the two parts. But there's like the garage, and the office is over the garage, so it's kind oh, of like okay. separated from the main house. That that's convenient. Yes. I'm sure that might have been one of the one of the selling features for the house. It, it was exactly the selling feature. It's also a really big office. It's like 800 square feet. What made you guys decide to move back to to New England? Well, Los Angeles is a really nice place to visit. And no offense to anyone who lives there. I do understand the appeal, but it's very hot and the there is smog. It may be a little bit better now, but we lived kind of at the base of the mountains looking down at Los Angeles, but we only saw Los Angeles maybe five times out of the three years we lived there because it was just, it's just normally a sheet of brown. And so we lived at the base of these mountains and they are massive, massive mountains. And most days we could not see the mountains (laughs) just just from just from smoke. So air quality is a big issue. I, I was had a chronic cough for the whole time we were out there. Yeah. There, I basically say all the bad things you hear about Los Angeles, lots of people, <laughs> lots of heat. And so it's just, we were used to seasons and clean air and, <laughs> you know, waterfalls that weren't concrete. So, yeah. Yeah, and we were getting to the age where we were thinking about a family, and so we came back. We were missing out on stuff too, like weddings and things like that. So, and that's when my career started shifting towards novel writing, and it became clear that you know we didn't need to be out there for the career anymore. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. So it kind of helped to inform where you were going to go in your career, and you were able to 
yeah. obviously you were able to capitalize on that because you yeah. uh, you you took off. Yeah, and I, I really loved my time out there and the connections that I made and the places that I was able to work at. But yeah, I went out there, when was it, two years ago for the premiere of John Wick 2. And it was nice, but also very quickly reminded me why I moved back. Just the, it's just con- like everything is congested. The air is congested. The highways are congested. Every place you go, there's like tons of people. It feels like there's like no way to escape the masses. So, but it was cool. Do you mind going into, you, you have a few different pen names. You, you also run under Jeremy Bishop and also under Jeremiah Knight. And I believe some, some other pen names as well. What was the impetus for you to, to use those in, in your writing? We started using them because I was writing so fast. <laughs> no so, fucking way this guy's putting out that many books. Exactly. In part, we didn't want people to be like, man, all I read is Jeremy Robinson. Because it's just like... You give them a variety on their bookshelf, man. You, you yeah. It's purely like, altruistic. They don't want to like burn them out on me. So I came up with other names to fool them into thinking they were reading other people. Suckers. You guys got played. <laughs> and right now I, I'm like slowly retiring those names. Now that I'm a much slower writer, I'm retiring those names and, and putting my name back on those old Bishop and Knight books uh, <laughs> just to make it easier for myself and like the world. Uh, Have you ever heard anybody talk? negatively about one of your pen names but then go like that jeremy robinson though <laughs> that guy knows uh, what's up <laughs> no that that hasn't happened i don't think i mean some people will say straight out i don't like your jokes because jeremy bishop is a horror pen name they're usually a lot more gory and nasty than the other books i mean i think they're all gory and nasty but they were like torment was incredibly dark so it's a, dif- a different tone and then the jeremiah night books were post-apocalyptic nice so you're you're slowly retiring those pen names yeah is it ever do, do you think you'll miss writing under those names or is it just you're, uh, you're done with them yeah i don't i don't think i mean it it is nice to have like that freedom of like a fresh start and people who may not have liked my early robinson books might give me a second chance under a different name but uh, i'm not as worried about that now as i was before and also in kind of going in that same direction you used those pen names to kind of go for a certain genre is there a genre that you haven't explored yet that you're wanting to get a chance to to look into that I want to get into, I don't think so. I always have romance as a backup plan. <laughs> if, <laughs> if my novels ever start to fail, I can just. Uh, a really popular author friend who does romantic thrillers said to me once, you know, all you have to do is add a sex scene or two, and you can market these as romantic thrillers and they'll sell a ton more. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the backup plan is to to add a little romance to the novels and call them romantic thrillers instead of thrillers. Change, uh, put a beefcake on the cover and you're, you're, you're exactly. good, man. Exactly. But that's not something I ever want to do. But I have, I mean, I've done thrillers, sci-fi, horror, fantasy, suspense, I guess a little bit of mystery. So there isn't, I haven't done a Western, but I don't want to do a Western. Oh man. I used to hate Westerns as a kid. <laughs> And I don't know why, but now, of for some reason, 
reason I've I've gotten into westerns and just mostly like the old spaghetti westerns watching those. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I'm really wanting to like kind of dip my toe in eating some of the the western novels. Right. Just to see if I like it because I've, <laughs> I've really enjoyed watching those the terrible terrible western films. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm so driven by like in part by what I'm naturally interested in, but also by like what's selling. So if I know that like I have a really great idea, but no one's going to buy it, I won't do it. Um, and I don't. Are people still writing western novels? Is that a thing still? Uh, I'm sure they're they're out. There's somebody out but there buying. They're not on any bestseller list though. Oh hell no, no, not <laughs> not by a stretch. So what what do you do to to unwind? Like what? And specifically, like when you are not writing, are you trying to recharge? Because it yeah. seems like it would probably take a lot out of you, especially with how much you produce. Yeah, I, I absorb a lot of media. I tend, I, right now, I'm not reading a whole lot. And I think that's just a product of the fact that I stare at words all day already. And I'm also working on screenwriting still as well. And that's actually going pretty well. So I'm kind of like absorbing movies and good TV and video games to kind of like recharge mentally to continue with my current pace. Yeah. It just keeps the the creative juices flowing. What's good TV for Jeremy Robinson? You know, I I get asked this sometimes and then I just go blank on what I'm watching. (laughs) What am I watching? What have I watched that I loved? I can't think of anything. (laughs) I know I watched true. I watched true detective, which is kind of like non sci-fi for me. Yeah, what what season though? I watched the first one. I started watching the second one, and I'm not too sure about it. Second one was just okay. The third one, first and the See, third. I didn't even know the third. Fantastic! Oh man, the third is man. It hits. It has some really really heavy emotional beats in it. Okay. It's so worth looking into. Who so, is who are the actors for that one? The guy who played the Phantom. oh okay yeah let me see season three looking it up right now it is billy yeah billy no i'm sorry steven dorf i was completely off i get them mixed up (laughs) mahershala ali but steven dorf was the fucking man in that show excuse my language sorry he did really good yeah and but and mahershala ali that guy can act. He is, he's on up there in terms of just acting ability. Cool. And it's season three is so, totally disconnected from season two, right? That's how they do it. Yes. Yes. No, However, right. there are some like, there's some callbacks yep. to you'll, you'll just have to watch it and see there. It, I don't think it's anything that is necessarily like strongly tied to any yep. given season, but you'll see some like threads where they're kind of like, oh, hey, remember that? Yeah. Oh, you know what? Watchmen. That's what I just watched that I really enjoyed. That was good. That was yes, solid. That was excellent. Uh, Amazon put it up for free for a couple of days and I binged the whole thing. Yeah, that was really good. My wife and I just watched the, uh, speaking of Amazon, Hunters. Oh, that is amazing. It was so fucked up. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely, but also amazing. That yes. is probably one of my favorite shows of the year. My, okay, so my wife was like, "You can watch it if you want. I'm not gonna give a. Sh- I'm not gonna pay attention." So <laughs> yeah, I start watching. When when within five minutes, she's on the edge of her seat watching this stupid show with me. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, she she totally was all in for that show. So we, we finished that last week. And then we also saw space force on Netflix. Speaking of something that has a similar name to one of your properties. Yeah. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of, wow, you did it, man. No, this is just a dumb show. (laughs) Exactly. I didn't do it. I beat them to the punch, but this isn't me. Oh man. It was, it, it was surprisingly entertaining. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Not Steve Carell, the, the other kind of like main old dude actor, the scientist. I can't remember. Oh, they had a movie Malkovich. where they go into his head. Yeah, Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. John Malkovich was great in it. Yeah, he was amazing. So when you're writing, do you listen to music or podcasts or anything while you're... I do listen to music, and I do it in a, a very intentional, specific way where I will think of a movie that has a tone I want to capture, and then oh, I will oh, listen cool. to that soundtrack non-stop over and over and over again while I'm writing that particular novel to the point where like, if you played one of those soundtracks, I would be like instantly transported back into that novel. And sometimes it's really confusing when it happens like accidentally. But so like for the novel, I just finished writing. It's uh, called Exo Hunter. And it's about uh, a guy from 1988 who is kind of transported a thousand years in the future. And so everything for him is 80s references, 80s music, 80s movies, stuff like that. And I listened to new wave 80s music for three <laughs> months straight <laughs> while I wrote that book. And he, I made him a music fan. So he actually references probably 15 different songs throughout. Sometimes it'll be stuff that is actually playing so that the reader can listen to what I was listening to when I wrote it. Uh, so we're actually going to do like a, a soundtrack for that where, you know, we'll list off the songs and say like, here's where you can go listen to this song. If you want to like get the experience that I had while I was writing it. That's awesome. I, so I'm, I'm writing a comic right now and I made a playlist for my artist to listen to mm-hmm. as he's cool. uh, doing his thing. And it's from what I understand it, it's helped him out a lot in like getting into that headspace. Awesome. So uh, that's really good. Yeah, I had never thought of doing it for like putting, giving my music to an artist. That's a good idea. Oh man, it's it's kind of it's fun to do too. So it's uh, it's a kind of a horror set during the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of stuff like 1969 era. Yep. Which also the I'm I'm a big The Stooges fan. Yep. And uh, one of their debut albums was right at that time so it, it gets kind of it gets kind of crazy <laughs> nice. yeah it's the way to do it that's I, why i, I hope to... my stuff because then we can have the full the music with the pictures with the words like that's the uh that's the dream oh yeah yeah i can i can imagine lately one thing i've been doing to help set the mood have you ever seen the nasa channel <laughs> i have not i actually don't have cable it's on Roku. Uh, we have the oh, okay. Roku thing. There's the NASA channel, and you can get a live feed from the International Space Station. Is it and, 24-7? Yeah, 
Yes. Oh, it wow. is rad. I love it. <laughs> so I'll put it on the TV and turn all the other lights off while I'm writing. And you just see <laughs> this big blue glow emanating from the screen. Uh-huh, and nice. um, one day is my, it, my... Is it external? Yeah, yeah. It's, like out, yeah, yeah. So it's... <laughs> that, otherwise, it'd be really awkward. You just yeah, some guy like, spying on people like voyeur, <laughs> space voyeurism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make powdered eggs. What else do you guys want? It's, it sucks up here. It's terrible. Don't ever do this. No. <laughs> so yes, the external camera from the International Space Station. And one day my my daughters walked into the room while I was writing. They're like, can we have a can we have a camp out in the living room one night and pretend we're on the space station? Oh, that's awesome. So I set up a tent. And turned on the the space station, and they freaking loved it. it. It was great. That's an awesome idea. Yeah, I mean, now you, you want to do it. You, you I do. Yeah, I actually, just bought a projector, <laughs> so I can try that with a projector. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I got after I had to, I had we we shut down the shop at the the baby factory, and I, I figured I would be laid up for a while, so we don't have a TV in the bedroom. So I bought a projector, and. <laughs> Basically, watched Netflix and and played Super Mario Brothers on. That. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was it was worth it. Yeah. So, how have you guys been coping with the whole shutdown thing? Has that affected your writing? Not, it affected sales. I was surprised. Sales dropped by about fifty percent. Oh wow. And I I don't know if that will have an effect on NPC uh, because it's new, but sales of like the backlist definitely slowed down. But other than than that, it didn't affect us really at all, aside from it being a little bit sketchy with toilet paper for about a week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, I mean, we were already homeschooled. I already work from home. So, you know, the only thing that changed for us was maybe like seeing friends less. And seeing them in a different way. I hear you. Yeah, we we've been kind of keeping our eye on the uh, Sam's Club website yep. for when they have the things we're looking for. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it right. kind of it screwed up the supply chain for a little while. So if we need like toilet paper or paper towels, we just got a puppy, so we're we're going through paper towels like crazy because he's a little <laughs> yep. he's a little jerk. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, so that that's been our that's been our go to is to look at the website for for anything that we're we're needing. Do you think that the slowdown in sales has have mostly been accounted to like economic anxiety, or is it just I people think aren't so getting out? Uh, yeah, I think I, a lot of people thought that sales also would go up because more people were spending time at home, but that also meant that those people weren't making money. So I actually, I did like a COVID uh, relief package of, I did five of my books for free for about a month um, for for people who didn't have money to spend. Uh, So maybe, you know, maybe in part I did it to myself (laughs) by giving away five books. Uh, Well, I mean, given that you write like 30 books a year, um, yeah. They're going to go, oh, I really like that guy. Now that things are normal, I want to buy some of his books. Right. So I'm not in a position where I have to worry about it a ton right now. But uh, NPC will be the real test. We'll see what, you know, the numbers are like for that. And then I'll kind of have something to gauge as to whether or not it's affecting new books. 
I hear what, when will that drop or has it dropped already? Uh, it came out yesterday. Oh, wow. Came, wow. Yeah. It's, it's on, I think it's, it's in the top 50 on audible. So it's our, it's off to a good start. That's awesome. So has it, has COVID kind of slowed down your writing? No, I, if- I, I did write slower. The last book, it took a little bit longer, but that was actually not COVID. That was the flu. <laughs> I got a flu <laughs> over the winter and it Ooh. led to, to bronchitis. And my, my wife still thinks I should go get a, a COVID test because it was COVID was just kind of like coming, you know, like it wasn't a big deal at the time. Yeah, uh, but that that flu laid me up for a good two and a half months. So there was a large portion of the winter where I wasn't able to work. Um, that it kicks your ass, dude. It will it, put you down. Yeah. So I, it felt unlike any flu I've ever had before. So maybe it was COVID, but it seems unlikely. Oh wow! <laughs> I the lab. That- that I work in one of my one of the guys that work in the lab with us came in a few days it was last Thursday and he said yeah I kind of have a little bit of a temperature this morning I don't feel too hot (laughs) and my boss was like get the fuck out of here yeah (laughs) and Monday morning we get in and uh, half the lab's gone and they're like yeah they all had COVID (laughs) It's like, oh God. Oh man. So or actually one guy had COVID and the rest were people that were working like right next to him on uh, a project. Yep. And he was the kind of mask person that wear because we're all wearing masks in the lab, trying to be as respectful right. as we can. The part that I will work in, I'm not even around anybody. I'm in a laser welder all day. And, uh, but no, this guy had his mouth covered, but his nose uncovered. Oh no. Because, yeah, I've seen people doing that. Uh, and I asked him, I said, Hey man, you know, like that doesn't do anything. He said, yeah, I have panic attacks. I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to make fun of anybody for panic attacks, but I really wish he would have tried to go that extra mile. Yeah. It sounds like he might need a different mask, something a little bit more like breathable. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, th- this dude, shut down half of my lab so <laughs> oh, yeah. it's it's been yeah put on the mask and take some lorazepam yeah and I, i've been telling everybody like here in the south especially their mask is they're scared their testes will fall off or if they have a mask on <laughs> in the, the store mask. yeah yeah <laughs> so one thing we always like to ask people about while they're on is we like to keep independent bookstores and comic shops open because they are literally, especially with, with comics, mm-hmm. they're the lifeblood of the industry. There is no direct market without comic shops. So that being said, do you have any comic shops that you're particularly fond of? Yep. Jetpack Comics in Rochester, New Hampshire. Um, I've actually heard they- of them. Yeah, they are really good to me. They host, I think it's the biggest free comic book day event in the country. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's huge. And so I've known them for a long time and they're very good to my family and my son who is a Pokemon tournament guy, they support him a lot. And so they're really awesome there, Jetpack Comics. That that's that's great. Hey, can you tell me a little bit about the New Hampshire Author Fest that you that you were the director of the New Hampshire author fest that's going back. So we haven't done that in a long time. It was, 
it was basically New Hampshire authors would come together and do like a big like day long event with signings and talks and stuff like that. And it was to support like local reading programs. But I think that only lasted like two or three years. Um, That's a bummer. Yeah. It it was I think it was more work than everyone uh working on it. It's a lot of duckies to line up. Yeah, and just about everyone involved was also like popping out kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so we all had to be like, well, we have kids or this organization. So yeah, we had to dissolve it uh because of that. I hear you. I hear you. Do you do you think you'll ever want to start that back? Because it sounds like a really admirable um an admirable cause. I don't know what, what we do now is I, I was opposed to this name. <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> oh gosh, people, hit, hit me with it. Well, it's just, it's just like egocentric. It's called Robinson. Um, and so, <laughs> I, I didn't want it to be called Robinson, but it's basically a yearly event where fans kind of from all over the world, Australia, England, all parts of the United States, Canada, they all come to New Hampshire and we hang out for four days. We do tons of restaurants. We do lots of... So most of my books are featured kind of like in this area. So I will take them to various you know locations where we've written a book and we'll do cruises and whale watches. Oh, that's rad. It's... Last year, and I should plug this, last year we did something amazing. We we filmed a short film in one day while we were doing that. And so if, if you go to YouTube and you search for, is it you? I have, it's either I have been killed by Jeremy Robinson or you have been killed by Jeremy Robinson. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a four or five minute film that we did in one day. And so... Uh, we filmed it over a day, and then I had, I think, three hours that night to edit it. And I think it was up to one in the morning. And then the next day, we actually had a theater, and we actually got to watch it in the theater. That, that is awesome. That's awesome. It's really cool. I, I think my five-year-old's having a fit downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. <laughs> one, one thing, Jeremy, I, I love this age. Such a nice age, round where everything yep. is better than fifty. About screaming, yeah. <laughs> Have they started driving yet? We started doing driving lessons, and that's <laughs> that's currently on hold for teenage reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my my partner at work started teaching his fifteen year old how to drive the other day, and they have a driveway that kind of dips down below their house yep. and she hit the brick wall. Uh, two, two tires were on the brick wall. The other uh-huh. two were on and she flipped out. The whole family was in the car. Oh, wow. She hit the gas instead of the brake. Oh no. And he texted me a picture. He had just gotten out of chemo a few weeks oh, before. Man. And he said, we're okay. And he texted a picture and I said, oh my God, what happened? His car was completely upside down. She still has not set foot in the driver's seat. She, she refuses to drive. And he's like, she's going to have to learn. You know, <laughs> so, that might be a good thing. Like 
I, I feel like I didn't get my license until I, until I was 18, and I'm really glad for it. I've never been in an accident, never got a ticket or anything. It's just like when you hit 18, you're a little bit more mature. Oh, yeah. And, you don't, yeah. and a little bit more calm under circum, certain circumstances. But, like, I don't want my daughter to have her license at 16. Like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember who I was no when I was 16. <laughs> so I, I got my license, and as soon as I got my license, I had a seizure and couldn't drive for a year. Oh, wow. So I had bought a car from my crappy job yeah. at a, a grocery store, and it sat in the driveway for a year. <laughs> oh. But, you know, that is part of it. Yeah. Uh, but Jeremy Robinson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else you want to talk about before? I, I, I don't want to take up any more uh-huh. of your time. Than- I can't think of anything. I suppose I should plug my website, which is bewareofmonsters.com. And let's see. The, the Facebook group is taken off by Facebook Open. Here we go. So the Facebook group is called Tribe. And to get there... It's facebook.com slash groups slash jr.tribe. And we've got almost 2,000 people in there, and we do giveaways every Friday. Um, lots of cool stuff in there for anyone who's interested. Nice, nice. Junior Tribe co-official? I think JR is Jeremy Robinson. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, this is my, my group for young readers. It's Tribe Junior. <laughs> Well, Jamie Robinson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, it's been a blast. I really enjoyed talking to you. You guys go out and buy NPC and go to his uh, Facebook, jr.tribe, and get on in that group. And yeah, you guys check out his stuff. It's uh, super fun. And you go through about 80 different genres on your writing so something for everyone exactly exactly jeremy thank you again man have a good evening and wash damn hands (laughs) you too thanks a lot (laughs) stay safe buddy all right right. that was a weird preamble it was was a golfer named robson too (laughs) maybe we talked to him (laughs) and we're back we're back. Golf tips with and, Johnny Horsley. <laughs> yes, and as you know, that was that was Jim Robinson, the writer, not Jim Robinson, the golfer. That's um, right. I mean, maybe he golfs. I don't know, but he's not the pro golfer, or maybe he is a pro golfer. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know his personal life. Well, you know a little <laughs> bit more now. <laughs> a little bit more now. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, oh right, my god! Slight, slight, slight side tangent here, real quick. Yeah, I still want to do an episode, and I'm going to say we'll probably never do it. So I'll go ahead and just say it. I still really want to do the episode where we interview our, you know, Jay Roach from our uh, from Spoilerverse, mm-hmm. but just ask him questions about Austin Powers all the time. Because <laughs> of Jay Roach, the director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just want to. I just I think it'd be hilarious. I know we'll never do it, or I mean, if we do it, it'll be a long time from now, but it's still, it would make me laugh to interview somebody who has the same name as somebody else, but just to focus all the questions on the other person and just see how long it takes him to get super pissed off and leave. <laughs> Jay won't get pissed off though, because he knows he shares that guy's name. I know. He'll just keep, he'll, so just, he'll, he'll figure just, it out <laughs> and then he'll be, he'll just yeah. play along with it or he'll give completely wrong answers that are just ridiculous. Right. And that'll make it great. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So, uh, Jeremy Robinson, NPC book, check it out. Check out that and his infinite book and all his other books that are out there. I am going to get NPC, um, 
as soon as it's available. I don't, I don't know if it's on Audible yet, but it's, I, I do audiobooks, so it's on Audible. I'll pick it up. Yeah, you know what? I do a lot of audiobooks. It's hard to sit and read a novel just out of time, which kind of sucks. Like, I need, I, to, I need to take back time. You know what I mean? You know, I love I love reading. Yeah, it is. So NPC is on Audible, and I'm going to pick it up right now. There you go. Ooh, I, I, live on the air. Purchased. Live on the air. Just that's, that's, pulling a, that's pulling a Kenrick move right there. It is there. And in my Audible library list now, I can listen to it. I, uh, I love Audible, I, but I do. I miss time sitting and reading because I love yeah. to just sit and read. Yeah. But being so busy, I just put Audible on while I'm driving or while I'm drawing or something. Then I have, then I can still yeah, in the get car. the story while I'm doing something else. To a ton of Audible books in the car. Nice. I just I know, picked I, up I'm, the Sandman we have a, series. Huh? I just picked up the Sandman audiobooks. Oh, they're so the Audio good. play. Not Sandman Slim, but Sandman, oh. new game in Sandman. They just yeah. released a, a, a cast version and it's so good. Who's doing, oh, it's a full cast? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Did you ever heard about it yet? No. Oh man, it's got so a new gaming does the narration for it, yeah. but it's got it, it's got Kat Dennings, Taryn Egerton, uh, James McAvoy, um, Andy Serkis, Michael Sheen. Wow. I mean, it's got a huge cast. That's yeah. I wonder how much it costs to produce that. I don't it know. But it's only on Audible. When I guess from what New Game was saying is they is they didn't make a lot of changes from the original graphic novels. They wanted to make it. A, uh, an audible translation so people who didn't get to read the book is in when it came out can now hear it in in somewhat similar fashion that's what i wanted to do with junior Braves of the apocalypse right <laughs> that's exactly what i wanted to do so greg smith michael, michael tanner, tanner still gotta do this yeah uh, we need to get I, I i really want melissa uh search stuff to get on audible Oh, I know. She's I such she, you know, she's such a sweetheart and she works her butt off and she does yeah. so many books and she deserves to get so I think I think it'll help her get ex, you know more out there. Oh yeah. You oh, guys yeah. check her out. If you if you like um supernatural uh stories that are have a little bit a little of edgy. a of a, a romance edgy. bent to it. She's a, she's really good. She's actually her books are excellent. So I would I would highly suggest anybody go and check her out. I think that's a show, dude. I uh, yeah, I think I, we kind of rambled there at the end there, but that's fine. It's a show. <laughs> it's been a while since we've talked outside of an interview like this, so we need to do an episode where we just chat back and forth because every time we do one of these, we, do. we end up talking and then it's like it goes longer and longer. I know. It's kind of funny. It's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. But that's a show. That is a show. All right, guys. Introductions of podcasts. We didn't do the outro. We're talking about the website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did not do any plugging of our own stuff what you guys tell us is it good to do the plugs at the end i mean i don't know i don't think anybody <laughs> listens at the end i feel like everybody's already tuned out after the interview well maybe but but you if know. you did like that interview <laughs> and you want to hear more go check out our back issues at spoilerverse.com there's tons there for you to peruse tons tons of our show and all the other shows on our network and while you're there check out reviews and previews and articles and all the thought pieces and all the fun stuff we have there click on that store link and go buy a t-shirt or a hoodie or a face mask or a sticker or whatever look fly as hell while you do it and help us support us by giving us a dollar to you per sale to help pay the bills and get to keep lights on here how can we say fly as hell not fly as heaven that's a good question maybe because man look fly know. as purgatory yo <laughs> <laughs> Because in this in the pantheon of devils and angels, I guess devils dress better. Do they though? An, they dress I mean, in black. Angels dress in white. I guess in my mind. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't know. Red and black looks better. I think than white, white, white is so. harder to pull off than black, though. Yeah, especially if you're white. 
If you were an, if you're a white guy wearing an all white suit, it looks weird. Does it? Because there's no contrast. Oh yeah, I'm pretty white too. We should we should do it. Well, right. you know, no contrast. That's funny. <laughs> what if you wear like red socks though and a red tie? See, then there's contrast, so it could it, you could pull it off. Or if you're or if you're in a white suit with like, can you um, do a red tie anymore with 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 Dump Trump doing red ties all the time? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I think it's funny that red ties used to mean that you were homosexual, but you know what? Red ties, power ties, uh, back in the uh, you know hundred years ago, like in the early like before nineteen forty or whatever. Red ties used to be a signal in the business world that you were a gay man. It's how you would signal other gay men that you were gay is by wearing a red tie. That's weird. How would you even know then, that? I always wonder about that. How did things like that perverse through through the eras? You know what I mean? It's like, how, did they read like a secret magazine that said, hey, wear right. a red tie at work? <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, like seriously, how did that message get out? I don't know, but it's like, there's like, so much stuff like that. Oh, this means, like, 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 like in, in a city where there's like, it used to be, you know, when there's shoes hanging from, uh, um, power lines that used to have meaning, you know, of, what's yeah. in, of like where to get certain things. Like, how does that, how, how did that start? I mean, I guess somebody just starts it and tells everybody and it just, it just spreads. Well, you know, how do you, I guess, man, if I was a gay guy, gay man, if I, if I was homosexual in the 1940s, yeah, what the fuck, man, how do you even get out there to find somebody of your ilk? Because, right, one, it was like literally against the law to make a pass at a guy or, you know, cause I know I have an uncle that made a pass at a, at a police officer in the late sixties and got arrested. Oh geez. Yeah. Huh. My mom says, I no, he was just really drunk. He wasn't gay. And I'm like, mom, never in my life have I been so drunk that, that I made a pass at a dude unless I have those types <laughs> of feelings. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I mean, he, he's long past, but at the same time, uh, like in the 40s, man. I mean, and it's still like this today. There's still people. I mean, you hear about it still, like people getting dragged behind cars, like down in Texas. Yeah. It's it happened like what two years ago. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's crazy, and 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 to go through all those times. How do we even get on this subject? But to go through all those times to get to this <laughs> point now, where people are still fighting for rights just to be their own person. It's 2020, man. You should be able to be whoever and whatever you want, as long as you're not hurting somebody else. God, that red that's, tie, that's, man, that just made me start thinking. It's like, how the yeah. fudge did they yeah. even get to that point where they're able to say, if I wear a red tie, I'm going to signal other people and they're going to know. But how does that person right. know? Right. And then if you you're, know. And, and then on top of that, if you're a heterosexual and you're not in that community and you don't know about the red tie and you just happen to wear a red tie. Right. Then it's like, then based on social norms and social pressure, and you're acting out when someone makes a pass at you, you're going to freak out. Yeah. I just, uh, and I then it just starts this whole thing, and then you could ruin. Oh, man. It's just. Uh, wow. It's a whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> that was quite the tangent. Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. So one, one more thing to do before we get out here. In oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do. Open the feed more. Or Audible. <laughs> yeah, or Audible. You know, whatever you're going to do. Just open the mic at you. Yeah. Gosh darn it. Consume more stories. <laughs> <laughs> and see.